everybody, and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. I'm your host, Justin Libernet, and today we have Tim Rose with us from Plano Labs, a division of Planomatics, to talk about IMN. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thank you, Justin. You want to run through a little bit of your background, how you ended up at Planomatics, and how you kind of plug into the real estate world at this point? I'd love to. Um, yeah, so I've been with Planomatic now for 10 years which is not a nice round number. Now I can start counting by fives, I suppose. Um, but we, we started, uh, well, you, started, started you started at Planomatics then when you were like 13, because you look like a young dude. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was ahead of my time. Um, so yeah, when we started in the kind of brokerage real estate side, um, so that was kind of my first five years. But then um, this this whole thing called SFR was starting to really blossom. And uh, so we were able to ride the coattails with some of the uh, kind of pioneering companies that were creating the industry. And we were able to scale our network to match the what they needed nationwide. Um, and so I've, I've been uh, very much involved. And I, I kind of started uh, on the technology and integration side working with those clients to create as many automations as possible, help develop all the uh, APIs that we needed, or I guess I should say that they needed because we <laughs> did everything based on client requests, of course, um, right. to make their workflows scalable and to make them work uh, across the country. And through that effort of working closely with them, figuring out what automation they needed, what systems were they using, that's essentially where Plano Labs was born because, you know, I, I realized that's what I was doing is doing research with our clients, was doing consulting maybe with new new clients, new entrants in the market that, you know, they said, hey, this seems like a great thesis, but how does the workflow side work? Um, and it just seemed like a good time to name what I was doing. So, so I came up with the, the Plano Labs. And, and so now I'm, my focus is kind of on, on research, consulting our clients, um, managing our innovation at Planomatic, like what new products or services are our clients looking for. Um, so that's kind of, that's where I stand. How does that, how does that work? No, that, that, that works really well. So <clears throat> it's interesting because I've worked with uh, Planomatics. It's probably been six, five or six years ago. Um, we were testing out all the different systems and trying to figure it out. And the question was exactly what you're saying is like, what's, where does this fit into the operations process? What's the benefit going to be? What are the downstream effects? What are the unknown effects? And is it cost efficient to do such a thing? So we went through that exercise, exactly that exercise, some six, seven years ago. Yeah. And a lot of our clients, it, the big questions that have been asked recently, A, do you know quality photos matter? Because right? that's what we, we do professional photos at scale nationwide. And generally our competition is in-house versus you know, oh we should yeah you should you should say what Planomatics does because I'm I'm here it, in the industry you've probably run into them at a booth you've probably talked to them at some point or seen their product and didn't even know it but will you give a quick rundown of what Planomatics product is yeah we exist kind of behind the scenes a yeah bit, but yeah we, we we are a marketing services company we provide uh, professional photos floor plans and 3D tours uh, to our clients nationwide pretty simple. Yep. So the, the question that, that clients have asked is, you know, do professional photos matter? What about this 3D tour thing, right? Is it going to have yeah. an impact, a positive impact on our leasing? Um, and so I've helped run uh, some case studies to ask that question with our clients, right? We've, been, we've monitored uh, an A-B test groups for three to four months to see what the leasing impact has been, uh, what the rent rates have been, um, because they don't really have the resources to run uh, studies right. like that. So. It's it's been very positive, and we've even been able to you know kind of peek behind the curtain at our clients' data to see what's what kind of lead activity are they getting. Right. And so we publish a lot of studies uh, that have to do with with those um, with those data points. And you usually have access to a much larger pool of candidates to evaluate than a normal property manager who has twenty properties in a market, fifty properties in a market. If you're in a smaller block of properties, there's a lot of other characteristics that can play into the flow of the house. Most properties, the primary stuff that people will search is location, price, and bedroom count. Those, those are core to most people's experience. But then as 
we hit the pandemic and people can't go tour and states were instituting ways to prevent people from touring a house after somebody had already been in there to prevent incidents of infection, virtual tours became just hugely important. Do you want to talk about how that's affected your planomatic stuff? Cause that's, that was a shift that we saw and we were, we were lucky we were prepared for it because we were doing these because they were great. There's great quality that comes out of this, but then to turn around and go, Oh, we have to have these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, four or five years ago, 3d tours, it was kind of, it was cool. Or maybe it was just for like the fancy houses and, you know, not everywhere, but, but uh, more recently it's just become, it, it's become more of an industry standard more and more. And we, we track it uh, across 30 markets, um, what the kind of 3d adoption rate. And, and we've just seen a consistent uptick over the last uh, two or three years. And it, what's interesting, I mean, cause there's the resident expectation side of it, right? If you read like Zillow, Zillow's consumer report, mm-hmm. What, what are residents looking for, renters looking for? They go online and they expect a floor plan, a 3D tour, some type of you know visual representation where they can tour the house virtually. So there's the, the expectation side. But if you talk to the operators that have adopted this, they'll talk to you about um, you know, some of the dollars and cents impact that it's had. Specifically, you know, some of our clients have talked about how the the actual applicants are more qualified when there is a 3d tour because they kind of they can funnel themselves out right they can say well i've yeah. seen everything and now i can actually see the hallways i can see you know much better description of the space visually and therefore they won't necessarily take the next step whereas if if there's not much to see online then you might get more applicants but you know not as many of them are truly interested in the property they might opt out of the you know the lease or the application um so our operators have definitely seen a win in that front the other place that it really helps is on pre-leasing. A lot of these houses and single family go on notice 30 to 60 days before they're going to be vacant. And if you can show somebody what it'll look like, they can drive through the neighborhood. They don't have to knock on the door and disturb the existing tenant. And they can be like, yeah, based on everything I've seen, I will sign a lease with the possibility of an opt-out once I've actually seen it. But the only reason that would happen is if it's totally destroyed or it looks nothing like the tour does. So it's, it's a great tool for that as well. Uh, pre-leasing relocations. Um, I've seen them used in corporate housing and student housing too. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great kind of tool to sit in there. Um, let's come back to this at the end when we're doing plugs and kind of pushing people into your space and let's focus on what we, we kind of talked about. We'd set up for today anyway. And that was, uh, there was an IMN conference. It's been, 10 days, two weeks since it happened about? A couple of weeks, I think. Feels like Yeah, okay. So in the last couple of weeks, and IMN is in an, an industrial conference that focuses on financing and real estate. And it always has some interesting things to come out of it. There's another group that's specifically around news called Inman. That's named after a guy. The magazine's great. has a lot of information. But recognize these are two different things. IMN, um, I think it actually stands for Investment Management Network. Is that accurate? Inform- information Management Network. Information Management Network. Okay, so I was I was close. I'm sorry. And You're right there. Please, uh, please invite me <laughs> to come over anyway. <laughs> um, but you were at that, and I, I was not this time. I've gone to a couple of them. They're really interesting. But when, when we're talking about what comes out of IMN, a lot of that stuff will show up on their website. They'll have reviews for it. But it's nothing like being there. So we're going to use Tim as our proxy, and he's going to run through some of the higher points that they hit on. And we're going to kind of talk about how those integrate into practice and running your property management, investment, or home ownership strategy. So, Tim, you want to jump into the first one that you've got on your list to play with? Of course, of course. This you have to start here. Uh, it was quite literally the opening sentence of the conference. Um, Jeff Klein from SFR Hub opened by saying this is the first. IMN that we've held in a negative leverage environment. And I thought that was, I mean, it, it struck me. I've been going to IMNs now for about five years. And over the years, it's its always been um, just 
very enthusiastic, almost giddy at times, right? Everyone's <laughs> like, man, this is, this is great, right? We can borrow at 3% and rent rates are increasing and there's just a lot of good stuff here. Um, and so this was kind of the first time where it, it felt like, okay, we, we got to get down to business here. And there's definitely a sentiment throughout the, the conference that the professional operators who have stuck to the fundamentals over the years, who have paid close attention to the residents, to helping the residents win, those are the ones that are surviving right now. Um, you know, there's a, a notion that over the last couple of years, there's been some dumb money spent in the industry, right? Where it's just like, it doesn't seem like we can fail. So let's just buy yeah. a lot of houses, right? Um, but rent rates, they don't increase 15, 20% year over year forever. Um, yeah. So so that kind of set the tone for the conference, I think, where it's it's like, okay, we got let's get serious. You know, when you're acquiring the properties, you have to... Everyone likes to say that everything has to pencil out. So you have to look closely yeah. at the numbers there, obviously. But then on the operation side, you have to look very closely at your controllable costs and do everything you can to optimize those too. So when you're looking at negative leverage, it's one of those things that pops up and people start talking about like the 80s, which is the last time we saw double digit interest rates. And this kind of puts your equations into a new spot because you have to take into account how how rough the financing is right now. Not only just the qualifiers to get the loan, but even if you're getting a cash flow loan where you go, look, I'm buying a property that's occupied, it's got somebody in it, I've got 40% down, I'd like to cash flow finance the rest, it's still a rip just because everything is so impacted. And I, I think that some of the other stuff on your list ties into this too. So of course, it's manifold. It's not just the leveraging that's messing with these numbers. It's all the pressure on the rental rates, the new stock that's being developed. And that negative leverage does affect upstream in those because you're less likely to have a builder do a full finance project and go through all of their phases when they're going to be hit for a higher carry cost, a higher loan cost, and their materials and labor are higher than they've ever been. So it kind of just it hits in a lot of different ways that make it kind of uncomfortable to be in this, in a financial space, right? Yeah. And I, I like to look closely at the formula itself, right? Of if, I mean, negative leverage, you're looking at the, the cost of capital versus uh, the cap rate. And on the cap rate side, the denominator is the purchase price, right? And if the purchase price yeah. goes down, then, then, you know, the cap rate can go up and people might be happier, but it's, there were there were a number of people at the conference that just said if you would have asked if you if you would have told me you know six months ago that home prices would be as sticky as they are so I would be shocked right so yeah um you know that the fact that the home prices I mean there was even an uptick in a recent uh, you know yep. recent data that came out right so um, I think a lot of that's due to the inventory right it's kind of well-documented that 83% of mortgages um, are locked in at a 4% or a less than 4% interest rate, right? So Yeah, and like 60% are less than three, down. which is crazy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what? I, I should have gotten on that track. I mean, yeah, so why would you Why would you sell out that, right? And anecdotally, if you do need to move, you yeah. probably hold on to that and turn it into a rental, right? And and figure out uh, your, your housing solution in your next place. So, yeah, so, so there's not really like a downward yeah. pressure on, on that price right now. Yeah, there's there's a classic group of step-ups and downsizing, resizing movement that's not happening right now. And that's not happening right now for a couple of reasons. One of them is this lock-in where you've got a rate and you go, well, if I sell this house and buy the exact same value house, my payment's going to double that that's that's an untenable prospect for a move so you go okay well i will keep this house rent it out and rent where i'm going because then i'm not screwed on my financial situation the other one is that you have this huge block of baby boomers who if they refied some of them did some of it didn't but those that refied or those that didn't are just staying where they're at because it's the same question i can cash this house out buy a slightly more house but I'm now saddled in this rate if I get any increase in value or any increase in opportunity, if I want to saddle and pay off debts, like those rates lock people in so tightly. And then the other one is this, and there's a lot of talk about where people are coming back 
and commercial real estate. But the ability to remote work means that people are offering people jobs in states where they don't even have a legal base. They go, you can work for us. Where yet? Cool. North Dakota? Let's do it. <laughs> They're setting up. There's companies that run national payroll, national health care, and national taxes. So you no longer have to worry about doing all that stuff on your own. And it's fascinating to watch that contribute to this as well. And all of a sudden, all these pressures that normally force supply are not there. That's right. Yeah. And I, I was reading an article recently about, they talk a lot about flow. Uh, and, you know, there's that, what you're talking about. Like the, the mental state flow or flow of properties in and out of the market. Flow of properties in and out of the market. Right. Yeah. So you kind of positive flow, negative flow. Hmm. Um, and I mean, looking at the rest of the formula, right? You have the, the actual like rental income and then you have how much does it cost you to operate the property in the first place? And the, the rental income, the, the another thing that was kind of discussed is it's still strong. Like it's still increasing. It's just not 15%. It's, it's three, three to 4%, right? So it's yeah. still growth and it's still, it's still positive. Um, it, it just, you know, some people's worlds were just kind of skewed, I think over the last couple of years, um, any chart that you look at, it just yeah. kind of looks like someone like bumped to the polygraph, like it, you know, yeah. it's, it's all over the place all of a sudden. Right. So the rent is still strong. It's just not, you know, what it was uh, over the last couple of years. You, you also have this, this um, communal knowledge, this kind of space and awareness where if you've been in this industry for 20 years, you have a different perspective on it than if you got it in the last 10 years. If you got into this business after 2013, all you really know is growth. And then that growth ended with explosive growth. And now it's stable. Like it's really strange to have a 10 year period with slight bumps and hiccups, but pretty much year over year, consistent, sustained growth and consistent, sustained prices for capital that were less than 5%. I think the highest rates I saw during that period were somewhere on six or seven for, you know, the poor credit score, 15 year, and you set yourself up and take a, and take that hit. But even with jumbo loans, we were seeing 4%, 3.5%. And then it just went off a cliff when COVID hit and the money was free. <laughs> Do you think so? Staying on, yeah. Staying on this, this part of the equation, um, there's going to be a big pull of capital out of the market of renters coming up with the reestablishment of student loan payments. When that happens, was there any discussion around how that will affect leverage, ability to buy any of these pieces that we're talking about? You know, that, that I was reading about that recently, but it, it didn't come up. Uh, it didn't come up in the conference at all. And I, I am curious to see what that impact will look like. Cause I mean, that can be on average, what, 400, $500 a month. That's, yeah. that's something, right. I mean, that's, that's definitely a, yeah. a significant uh, expense for, for a lot of these residents. And I mean, broadly speaking, a lot of the operators, again, the ones that have been successful, the quality ones, they, this whole time, they've kept any kind of rent increases thing, and they, they look very closely at rent to income ratios. They've kept all of that very much in check because to your point, they see the broader view, right? They've been yeah. in this for a very long time. So I, I think that that is an important point. You can't underwrite or bet on, you know, 12, 15% growth. Um, you have to be much more realistic because you want to own and operate this home in yeah. 2033 as well. Yeah, but I so <clears throat> absolutely, but I think the underwrite equation now comes back to the actual ability to use an investment property and the ability to use a rental. And there's so many tax benefits to having it financed anyway, from being able to deduct your um your taxes and your interest on the mortgage to being able to deduct depreciation of that property. And so you can stack all these things against the cash flow, and you may be right at break even, just above break even, just below break even. But if you can hold that and ride it till there's a change in the market in four, five, 10 years, you're gold, right? So if there's this rate of acceleration in the uh, interest rate has been insane too. We, we haven't seen this aggressive policy uh, in, in 40 years. And so this aggressive policy 
you know, the Fed just spoke a couple of days ago and it looks like they're not going to do a rate increase now, but they'll probably do two more this year. And so as they do that, there is going to be a point where we hit more turmoil in the economy. Another bank maybe fails. Um, people are not acquiring properties. Uh, there's not capital to do things that need to be done for the economy. And when even governments are having difficulty pulling bonds out to do stadiums and stuff, then you start getting both sides of the equation pushing on it, not just the renters, but the um, the businesses that are providing these services as well. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. It's going to be an interesting year and a half, two years while we watch this election and then this uh, this um, slowdown and see if they do drop rates because then mortgages are going to be refinanced like crazy. Yeah, the next yeah. wave. <clears throat> yeah. So this kind of slides in and we bumped into it a couple of times, but on your next topic, which you were talking about supply. So I think we kind of buried the lead and, and played with that one a little bit already, <laughs> but do you want to run through what they were thinking about and what this sentiment was at IMN for that? Yeah, yeah. I already mentioned the lock-in, the lock-in effect that there's just not a lot of kind of uh, distressed selling and things like that. Um, it, it was it was underscored that there are opportunities when you have local resources because um, it like local resources that that know the market really really well. They know the intersections. They know the school districts well. It, I mean, school districts come through the data, but some things maybe don't come through the data. And so if you have access to local resources that you can use, they might be able to spot opportunities for you. And that was mentioned um, by a number of panelists. So so that is, you know, in the, in the line of buying one-off homes and, you know, finding opportunities where, where the numbers make sense. The other, you know, the, the, the darling for the last couple of years, of course, has been built to rent. And, you know, some of the stats there... Uh, of all the new homes that are permitted right now, 30% of them are BTR, which is, yeah. you know, a, a kind of a much higher than average number or percentage. So there's just a lot of focus and attention. Obviously the headline recently that everyone's buzzing about is Predium picking up 4,000 homes from DR Horton, all committed to build to rent. Right. And so that yeah. it's an important supply source. Uh, and I think, People have known about it for a long time. It's just been a matter of, you know, getting the land to get into the zoning. All of that stuff takes a very long time. We're starting to see it uh, come to market now. And so it'll be really interesting to see that kind of blossom as a supply source. Uh, it'll still take a long time, right, for all of that to, to come yeah. through. And that's what, what a number of uh, panelists mentioned is, you know, it's, it's exciting. It'll just, it takes a while to, to build a house <laughs> and yeah. bring it all to market. So. One of the things on that, so there's a couple of things to unpack there. One of the things in there is the the number of build to rent and what those build to rent product classes are kind of like. In a lot of cases, all they're doing is trying to set up something very similar to an apartment set of amenities where you don't share any walls with anybody. And so they're a really nice kind of option in that space for a transitory space, especially with the new household formation being almost... 30% has a dog and not a kid. And so these are people who are chasing yards instead of chasing having enough rooms for a nursery. Uh, so it's an, it's an interesting product class. The other thing to mention in this is how the Southwest is being impacted right now by the water scarcity. Um, there's been some stuff in Arizona where they just said, you have to provide 100 years of water and you can't drill for it. Tell us where you're getting your water before you build. We saw this in Scottsdale where there's a whole bunch of places where they were just tapping into the Scottsdale water supply. And now Scottsdale said, you can't have this anymore. You're not a part of the city. We need it for the city. And people that built and went, well, I don't want to deal with this hundred year water thing are out in the dirt kind of figuring out what's going on. In Vegas, they've changed the rules so that there's almost no buffer needed between buildings they're building. So they're building stuff really close. Uh, everything's zero scape. There's no yards. The roof counts as a yard if it has a deck on it. Like they're being very permissive for both density and for low water use. Um, they've limited the size that pools can be. There's been a bunch of stuff in Vegas in that direction. Phoenix has their issues with water. And then it seems like San Diego and LA are just like, eh, <laughs> it's still do whatever they want. Um, 
their their programs tend to rely on the idea about we'll desalinate the ocean and then we'll have all the water we want um, instead of focusing on some of the industrial uses from alfalfa to cotton. So all those things play into supply for sure. The way that people are building now is different. And the build to rent segment, there's a ton of land that was bought over the last 10 years by all of the larger ones, AMH, Progress, First Key, all of these guys have huge tracts of land that they're sitting on. And what's interesting about some of those is how closely they relate to random parcels that I'm sure you see when you're driving around. I see when I'm driving around, our listeners do. And they're just one house parcels that are just sitting there. There's a lot of land that's still being banked and it's just waiting for the expansion to push in that direction or for the financials to be right for the owner to sell it or develop it. So I think that's going to be an interesting vector for the next kind of set of fill in builds because Mm-hmm. People want to live closer towards amenities right now. It's less of a sprawl and more of a series of micro cities. Yep. Yeah. And I, the thing I've been wondering since, you know, since the pandemic sprawl started is just how far is too far. I, I've just been so interested in kind of trying to monitor the geographics of, yeah. of this, right? Like we have friends that were like, oh, I guess we'll just move an hour and a half away from a major city center. But then, you know, when the company says we need to see you a couple of days a week, then uh, it kind of changes the dynamic there. So I also wonder, yeah. is there, you know, are there C&D locations that that uh, are kind of sitting empty right now because they might not be able to lease them up? Yeah. Are you, you're in Nashville? I'm in Nashville. Okay. So Nashville's uh, Nashville's fantastic. It's a great city, but it also has this huge pressure of short-term rentals for the bridal shower and bachelor party set. Uh, how does that play into the supply? Can you talk about Nashville's and then I can talk about Vegas's? <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, there's uh there's plenty of people coming here, which is awesome. Um, I love it. I love the growth and I love the activity and we live just far enough away from downtown that we can either opt into it or opt out of it. So it doesn't, doesn't nice. come across the, uh, you know, our sidewalks uh, down by me, but um, the it's interesting because short term, I'll I'll keep living in IMNEs because that's where all the the experts were. I'm not an expert, but um, they did talk about short term rental and how it it appears that it's kind of it'll be going in the wrong direction here a little bit. Um, just you know, this kind of supply of STR exploded a bit over mm-hmm. the last couple of years because yeah. everyone took their freedom and all of a sudden you're you know, just working like in Northern Michigan on a lake somewhere and it's beautiful and you're staying at Airbnb and why not, right? But now um, things are obviously different. And so that short-term rental economy is, I mean, not that it's like disappearing or anything like that, but it's just kind of contracting a bit just because people aren't really um, taking these like workcations as much. Yeah. Bachelor and bachelorette parties; those are you don't have to worry about those, Justin. Those are, those are strong. <laughs> yeah. So, are there licensing stuff trying to reduce the number of short terms in Nashville, or are they just it's good? Get your license; you can do it. Uh, policy perspective: I don't, I, I don't monitor that stuff as closely, so I wouldn't be able to to comment on on their what they're doing there. Okay, just, so just some of the stuff that I've run into is I'm in Vegas, and Vegas handle it very poorly because you've got Las Vegas, the city, and then you've got Clark County, which is unincorporated. Then you've got the state. And so Clark County just said, no, no short-term rentals. At the same time, over 10,000 short-term rentals are currently available for rent on Airbnb and VRBO. It's this giant industry that is unregulated happening and nobody's policing it. Nobody's taxing it. Nobody's setting licenses, safety standards. Um, a lot of the stuff that they get called out for should be normal noise complaints, but we don't also don't have a large enough police or code enforcement group to handle this stuff. We're Vegas. So there's so many things that they could be doing besides responding to uh, those kind of calls. But because there were so many mm-hmm. the state legislators said, you guys have to permit this and regulate it because it's a problem. And so the the Clark County set it at 1% of all housing stock. But that means that we've got to go from like 
twelve to 15,000 short-term rentals to, I think, 2,000, 3,000 short-term rentals. So there's there's been lawsuits here. It's a big thing that's kind of pushing the business community back and forth. And it's really interesting to watch a place that doesn't have enough housing for the people that want to move here, but also doesn't have enough hotel rooms for Formula One, the Vegas Knights, the Raiders. We might get the Oakland Athletics. We've got a WNBA team, the Aces. So there's all this stuff here, but we're not building hotels fast enough either. So there's just this giant kind of push and pull on that portion of housing that really plays into the supply here. Cause we're, we're hitting BLM land in every direction and they won't let us build more. So we got to either build up or stop, uh, stop building for tourists, <laughs> which is hard. Cause we're all tourists. Like that's our, yeah, yeah. that's why you go to Vegas to be a tourist. Yep. Um, yeah. The other piece I think that's going to be really interesting to watch for supply over the next 15 years is the, Passing or relocation of baby boomers to retirement homes, to Arizona, to Florida, to low tax places, while at the same time giving their houses to their kids or renting them out or turning them into or selling them. But there's going to be this huge number of properties that are just going to pass from parents to kids. And then these kids don't really know how to manage a property. So they're either going to sell them to kind of cash out or they're going to try and figure out how to do it. So it's going to be a very interesting time to watch that happen. I agree. Um, That'll be a supply shock. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would like to see more of the prefab and uh, tiny houses. We've got this company called Boxable here in Nevada that makes it's, it's not a mobile home because you trailer it in and it's about the size of a, a shipping container. And then the whole thing unfolds into a house. Like the walls are plumbed and they're really well made. And then they throw a roof on it. And you can have a house on site, plumbed and wired, you know, in a couple of days. So where you were talking about like how fast they can build them, if they're going to rent, I mean, that, that'd be really interesting to see one of the big companies do is go, I want 60 and I want three different floor plans deliver them. I've got the pads ready. I've got the plumbing where you said it should be. Let's get these rented in 30 days. Deliver mm-hmm. them on site. We're ready. It'd be a very different experience. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. And and because uh, something I hear a lot is the lack of the sort of entry level options and what, what you're describing, it sounds like, you know, that could be an, an innovation, right? To, right. to help us establish that that entry level help, help people get that the first home whether they need to rent something or or whatever but um, but yeah it could it could help people get started for sure I I think it'd be interesting to see legislation that support it at the state local or even federal level because there's a like in my neighborhood I go by lots that are just empty it's just dirt like how quickly could you get that to be a residence like a true residence for a home or a family that's moving to Vegas instead of just letting it sit there and land bank it. Like, could, could we get it to the point where the cost is so quick and easy that he's like, well, why wouldn't I? And suddenly smash the rental pool with 10,000 houses on all these empty lots. <laughs> That'd be a shock. <laughs> That'd be a supply shock. That would be a supply shock. So, so yeah. that kind of works yeah. to transition. So Boxable does this kind of, um, magical deliver and shift we've seen 3d printed houses so what's happening in the robot technical side (laughs) over at imn yeah there so yeah when it comes to robots and innovation and and things like that um there's of course a lot of conversations about ai um and it's it's the sense that ai is here it's not like Ooh, it's a is it metaverse? Like, is it going to succeed or is it going to go away? I mean, it's not. Yeah. It, the, the big thing is that it's so accessible, right? Anyone can just go on and and just use AI in some form, even if you're not using yeah. APIs of ChatGPT or something. I can at least have a little conversation and have a brainstorm session with this tool, right? Um, right. So it's more a matter of just how are you using it in your business. Uh, whether it's you know internal facing resources or if you're using it as a product um, for your consumers, but some of the interesting kind of more specific use cases that 
uh, came up a lot it had to do with the resident experience and trying to use AI there. Because if you think about if you're an operator, you're managing a property, what are your touch points with your resident? For better or worse, it's going to be if there's something wrong with your right. home, right? Like if there's a problem, yeah. it's best for everyone if no one really hears from each other because it means that everything is working well. Um, right. But that, so that touch point is, is, it's so critical and it needs to be handled well and efficiently too because if there's a problem the resident just wants it to be fixed immediately right we don't want them calling a call center that doesn't necessarily answer or a chat like a pointless chat bot that doesn't do anything for you right so i I think that's it's a it's kind of a nuanced innovation but i do think it's it's fascinating how even just something as basic as a service request intake using ai to ask really good smart detailed questions handing all of that information over to a maintenance tech so that they know exactly what they need to bring and they can get there very quickly to help um, triage the, or to help uh, fix the issue. Um, right. So, so it, it, yeah, go ahead. So in, in that case, are they talking about using it where it's kind of analyzing the person's speech and taking the relevant information out of it instead of kind of just, because right now we have a lot of that stuff where it's, uh, say your address and you start saying it, and they're like, I didn't understand. Say it again. And it's so bad <laughs> at understanding. Is it that now we've got speech to text so good that we can then analyze the text and get a more contextually accurate answer? Is that what they're talking about doing for this intake? I think they, the goal is, well, what you hear a lot is conversational AI, right? Yeah. But also being able to learn from other, you know, other, uh, you know, resident or service request intake to learn from past uh, requests that have come through, right? That they were talking about this and it was, this was the fix. And so this will be most likely the fix for this one too. So being able to kind of interpret just open text language from, from the resident, um, but using everything that it's learned so far from all the, all the work orders that it's created to gotcha. again just provide like a, a more streamlined resolution gotcha yeah that'd be kind of an interesting piece because i've seen some people that are trying to train the chat model on their existing database of cases so it's kind of mm-hmm. here's what the issue was here was the resolution here's our entire help and faq database and also here is an online forum that talks about fixing filters and different kinds of sinks in homes so take that into um, mm-hmm. I think that that gets really interesting when you have more knowledge about the house too. Cause if you know that the garbage disposal is a certain type, they have resets in different spots. So when the garbage disposal goes on the fritz, it's less of a, okay, call in, tell me what you have. Let's figure it out. And if you're calling in and going, yeah, my garbage disposal is broken and the AI can go, Oh, you have this model. There's going to be a reset button on the bottom here. Is it plugged mm-hmm. in? Push the reset button. Did that fix it? Okay. Unplug it. Look inside it. Is there anything blocking it? No. Okay. At this point, you need to go to a person. So it's a more, it's a better onboarding than kind of going, yeah, tell me all this stuff that you're going to say again when you talk to the next person down the right. line. Right. right. That's and fascinating. It, it, it is interesting because I've like, if, what I am on our previous conferences, I have heard more companies talk about providing really good self-service like what you just described which is interesting because yeah. you know in my, if you told a resident that like hey we want to help you fix your garbage disposal like on its face yeah. they might like their head might explode right they're like wait no that's that's not what i'm renting but from the experience of these operators it does sound like especially if we're talking about btr right like newer homes yeah. there those households are more likely to move there wanting like the homeowner experience but just to pay rent and so maybe right. I do have a little more, I, I want to fix a couple of things. I want to learn how to be a homeowner because it's, maybe it's their first, their first house, right? This happened yeah. to me. First time I owned a home, the garbage disposal was clogged. It, the, you know, it was new and it had never actually been set up correctly. And so I had to YouTube it, right? But, yeah. um, and I felt proud after I, <laughs> after I fixed it. So, so this like better self-service concept, <laughs> I just kind of find it fascinating because it, it contradicts what I would have thought, but there's companies like this AI thing and what you described and also companies are investing in just 
creating videos that like explain how things work at the house. Um, I, I think it's kind of cool. I know we're going to get to this in, in a couple of topics, but one of the things I want to bounce off on that is something that we've seen success with, and that's rewarding good resident behavior. And that sounds like such a kind of weird dystopian, you get your Soma because you did everything right kind of thing. But it really kind of sets you up in a nice spot to be a partner in taking care of the asset. One, because the person that owns it wants to get their investment money out of it at the end when they sell it or if they need to improve it. And two, the person that's living there wants to live in a place where if something breaks at 1 a.m. on a Friday night, you can go, okay, I can try this first. And then if it works, we're fine, right? And so in that, there's this idea that we have and are kind of pushing out where if you can give us enough information that your service call is less than a certain amount, cool, here's points you can use to waive a late fee or negotiate on a point on your lease, like rewarding the behaviors that you want to see. And this isn't necessarily an AI or robot thing. This is more on the resident experience, but it's just, it's interesting to look at how much better the information you get is if you're working with somebody and start to get them to the point where they know what stuff does and why you're asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be an, an avenue that AI really helps explore and kind of put together. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think, and, yeah go ahead. I was just going to say, another thing that kind of just stands out to me along those lines is it, when people were talking about innovation and AI, so much of the conversation was about like the humans that were, you know, like it's not like, oh, let's replace everyone. It's just, let's just make the experience better. But this human touch point is so critical. Like we all know, especially in housing, that's one reason I love housing is just the the people aspect of it, right? Like these are all humans living in a home. It's a very big deal. Humans helping manage the home. You know, this isn't all going to just be run by robots anytime soon. So it's people that are being enabled by technology to make it a better experience for residents. Um, It's not like residents will never hear from a human being from their property management company, you know? Right. So I I always appreciate the emphasis, um, that, that the, these experts even have when they're trying to create these cool AI tools. They know the context that they're working in. Uh, yeah. I think that's an important piece. On that human element, there's been some interesting developments around the edges on taking care of perceived issues that aren't really issues. One of the ones that came up about a year ago, so this is before ChatGPT and people were training voices for deep fakes and that stuff was really going, And this company had basically made a voice modulator that you put in between your service center in India or Mexico or the Philippines or wherever it is. And it took their accents away. And it was really interesting because what they were saying is that people were having a hard time listening to the information because they're listening to the accent and trying to figure out where this person is and if they even know enough to help. There's a subtle undercurrent of racism in there. But it's also a known quantity. It's a piece that kind of just sits there. And some of the people that call in don't want to talk to somebody in India. And that's a challenge. And so their their way around it was going, oh, look, we we make them all sound uh, waspy, for lack of a better term. And they got a lot of pushback. And then that dropped. But now we're at a point where for some of our marketing materials, instead of getting a spokesperson and trying to coordinate schedules and then filming or recording when we need the owner walkthrough or a dashboard walkthrough, or here's how to put a new property on the platform. Instead of doing that, we're doing stuff where we record enough of our CMO's voice that we can have a virtual CMO. And so on anything, we can just have him do a quick record that goes, hi, I'm Chuck. You're going to be talking to my virtual self. I got a lot of stuff to take care of for you guys. So I hope he helps out. And then it's obvious that it's a cutover to not Chuck, but it's, mm-hmm. it's competent enough to be like, there's there, there's your max headroom. He's going to help you now. It's a very interesting kind of piece. That's very much in this same AI robot chat GPT mid journey kind of space. hundred percent. Yeah. It's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
anything else on robots? Because they're fascinating. I mean, we could do an hour on AI, I'm sure, but just kind of anything else from IMN on robots? Not a ton, honestly. It was uh, it, the robot piece because, again, the you know the the work that, that we're all doing, it usually requires a car to drive somewhere and, and fix yeah. something. So, so the AI is. It, or, or the technology that's used. I mean, it's, it's mostly to kind of just support uh, the people involved in the process. And I, I think the other the other kind of important theme, and it's not unique to you know this previous conference or anything, but just the emphasis on integrating um, with each other. And you know, we're a vendor, and we believe very strongly yeah. in that concept. Um, but the, you know, in this panel, they they talked a lot about contractors having you know platform overload and you can imagine the same thing with the residents or even with an owner if you're saying well you know access this information over in this platform and then access that information over in that platform um, we all just need to get better at sharing information behind the scenes so that we can all kind of present ourselves um, in in one common interface to whichever entity needs that information and um, so that kind of integrating with each other, we hear more and more open APIs. There's more property management applications that are um, developing a more open and collaborative API suite, which is huge. Uh, but, you know, prop tech is very strong. And yeah. so there's going to be more and more vendors. And we all just need to um, consider that very strongly to to integrate with each other. So that's something that we've been seeing a ton of. And it's something that's at the core of kind of how we assemble our business. And that's platform agnosticism. You should be able to do what you need to do on the platform you're on without regard of what platform needs to actually do it. So our owner portal, our resident portals are all purely display and integration layers. And then they're not actually in the systems where stuff is happening. It's it's translated and dropped down and goes through APIs to get to where it's going and then comes back up. And I think it's, I agree with you. I think it's integral to the future of this industry. The, the better we are, at handing that data back and forth, the better it is for the resident, for the owner, and for the property manager too. Hundred <clears throat> percent. That's what I do, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back. Bob, plug for Plano Labs. Tim Rose, <laughs> find him on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll give you a plug. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's fascinating right now watching Twitter jack up the price on their API, and everybody go no. And then now Reddit's in a, a the third or fourth day of their blackout. Like they're on a blackout because oh. they're trying to up the price of the API. Like the, the APIs are really important, guys. <laughs> you should look into what they are and how they affect everything you do. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. please. We got two more things from IMN. Then we'll talk a little bit more about Plan O Labs. Um, you've got leasing ideas on here about, is that about how to yeah. lease quicker? Or just general, yeah. Well, releasing. this was kind of this was interesting because kind of going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, it's a much different environment right now, and it's not a situation where you can just post an address and uh, receive applications the next day, right? So you actually have to do something, and there's a little more talk about uh, concessions and things like that. So just kind of it, the last couple. Um, you know, conferences or years that, that I've been going to these, there hasn't been much about like how to lease up a property quickly because it just hasn't been a pain uh, that, right. that needed to be addressed. So, so I just thought it was interesting that it, that it uh, it came up. There were a couple just very specific things that I found interesting that I that I had captured. Um, one was uh, there was a, a company that's a big believer in um, just advertising everything as first month free. Um, and because I had always thought first month free, like, you know, are you giving away money or something like that? But he just said it creates an incredible resident experience because you can kind of pick when you want to move because that first month is, is on the house, right? So whatever works yeah. for you. Um, on the operational side, it, it said it actually simplifies things. You don't have to prorate or anything like that. You just, okay, on this date, full rent it will be uh, will be invoiced. And um, so... I think for for that company that was talking about this concept, um, it just it creates an incredible like grand opening uh, experience, right, with that resident, and that benefit outweighed any con of you know maybe losing out forty percent of the first months. Uh, were, they any, so I, 
were they an owner yeah. operator or apartments or were they a third party? Um, I believe they're an owner operator. Gotcha. Um, cool. Cause yeah, I mean, um, we see some of that stuff too. We haven't done promotions for a while and for us, it's a little bit different mm-hmm. since we're representing owners as a property manager mm-hmm. to get yeah. that month three is a lot more of a back and forth with owners. And we usually do our best to rent it full boat just because an individual homeowner that's renting two houses is going to yep. hurt pretty bad. If they take a month hit. Um, so we usually try to negotiate on the rent and fix that first uh, to hit the mm-hmm. right spot. Cause that's, that's a continuing conversation that we have around. If you put it at this price and we look at the market, you're going to be on the market for 60 days. If you put it at this price, you'll be on less than 30 days. So mm-hmm. you can choose. It's, it's your choice as the owner, but you really are choosing to forego a month's rent to get a 8% increase. And that is what you would get from that month. So it's, it's, you're getting the same amount of money over the course of the year. You're just playing on how long somebody can stay, which is a different mm-hmm. conversation now. Because some owners are looking at the future and going, well, what if rents go up 10% and I want them out? Then eh, you got you to gotta balance that against your return, bud. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, definitely become more, more interesting talking about leasing and what rent rate should be. Yeah. And, and the other, another thing that uh, people have really been focusing on recently, and you said it before, uh, when it comes to pre-leasing, the a big advantage to pre-leasing so i mean i guess this kind of comes down to is the the operator of the home do they have all the ducks in a row to to right. even pull this off right because i've talked to some of our clients where they say i would love trust me i'd love to pre-lease but we just can't we just don't have the resources yeah. so um you know there were uh, panelists who said we just we put it in the P- like we're very intentional about it right we put it into the pma uh the resident knows that They'll, you know, they'll get their their kind of reminder to say whether or not they're going to opt in or opt out 60 days before lease end. And so they know 45 days before lease end, they're going to see that property, you know, list on the market. We've, we've been very upfront with them about that. Because um, in that pre-leasing period, you can start to get a feel for what is the rent rate yeah. or appetite out there, right? You can see, are you getting really good demand or good lead, good application volume, or maybe if you can't apply yet, but are you getting good lead volume? Create a wait list, right? And maybe that wait list yeah. you could repurpose um, for other vacant homes that you might have. So there's so much value in that pre-leasing period that you can you know, provide to your investor clients um, that, that I think that has to be taken seriously too. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to see what tolerance there is for rent without it costing you any rent, 100%. And you can play <laughs> with those numbers there in the front and go, what if I bring it down 20 bucks? What if I go up 20 bucks? and see what you're getting. And that lead flow is going to tell you exactly where you are with rent, if it's right or not. And it's, that's a super useful one. Um, one of the other ones you have on here is adjusting leases for when they end. What was the sentiment mm-hmm. around those? Um, yeah, so there, I think this came from an owner operator, but they essentially um, just went through with a fine tooth comb of all their leases and as best as possible, they adjusted lease ends to expire in the summer. It's, you know, a pretty kind of basic concept, but summer is, uh, that's when people move. We all know about the kind of spring market yeah. um, in real estate when you might buy a new home, uh, but summer's the best time and the most popular time to move. So having your lease expire at that time, you're much more likely to have uh, vacant homes that you can go and check out to move into during the summer. So it's a better experience for the residents that do need to make a move. Um, and I mean, for the operator too, it's, it's just much more likely to lease up than if the lease, you know, expires in January. So they're, instead of just a standard 12 month lease, um, they, for any new leases, they kind of work it to, to expire in the summer. Yeah. I think this is something that affects people with a larger portfolio or, um, operators more, the, place that I've seen it the most is in multifamily. We do have a multifamily arm that runs a bunch of properties in Chicago. And the other thing about Chicago is nobody wants to be outside from October till March. So you're not going to have, that's a horrible time to move anyway. It's also a horrible time to turn the property 
because all of your staff mm. is wet. All of your staff is uncomfortable. <laughs> all of your staff is cold. And so it's just a much more horrendous time to turn. But what I have seen them do that I think is very compelling is they look at the number of move outs they have in each month and they cap the number of move outs. And beyond that, it costs more to move out in that month, which means when people are renewing their leases, they see this span of anywhere from a 12 to 18 month lease with monthly rates, depending on when they move out. And so they're able to push people out of the months that have already been picked and into the months where they have labor available to do the turns. It's super useful for multifamily because then you also have, oh, on average, I know about how many I need to lease each month. And people come in and go, oh, I wanted that one and it's leased. You go, cool, there'll be one in about two weeks. You just hold your horses and we'll have it for you. So it's a really nice work balancing piece as well. I like that. Yeah, the kind of staggering concept and knowing your labor availability uh, and and managing to that. I, I've definitely heard of the, the staggering concept for some of our SFR clients as well. So yeah, yeah I like that. Oh yeah, it works there as well, um, both yep. for um, the build to rent and then the classic portfolio, just because you know how long yeah. a turn's going to take. It's it's not, right. not anything new, especially with the densities they have. Um. Yeah. Moving to the last topic you have, this is one that's near and dear to my heart because I think that this is where property management has the greatest opportunity to get residents and owners in alignment. Whether or not that owner is an owner operator or if you're a third party operator, property management is about being right in the middle and getting everybody close enough to agree <laughs> so that it's not a rentier system where it's just extract wealth until they can't live, breathe, or do anything but pay rent or die. And on the other side, it's, I need this space that's safe for me that I can develop. And in that space, I'm going to have birthday parties and weddings and funerals, and my life is going to happen there. So you have this emotional connection. Then on the other side, you have this financial connection. And that creates this normal tension, which is why I think resident experiences hugely important and even more so going forward. So how is the attitude IMN? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think it's come a long way since I've been, you know, involved the last five or six years. I, my favorite kind of quote, or, I mean, I have a couple, but one that I, I thought was pretty representative. Uh, this is from uh, Jordan from uh, our calls for ready. He said the industry is moving from a transactional business to a hospitality business. I just think that kind of mindset mentality, that's it, right? Everything that you just described, that's not like, that's not just, you can't just say that's an investment or like an asset. So all those things, right? They, they kind of, it takes some of the human element away from it, but this is very much, it's more along the lines of that hospitality feel, right? People start talking about a move-in concierge experience and things like that. Um, yeah. I think that's a, it's a great, great mentality. And there's, there's often these conversations about, you know, ancillary services that you're offering a resident. What else, you know, what other benefits are you offering the resident? Um, and there's a really strong notion that this isn't just like a, some profit center. That, that's just not how people should look. That's not how operators should look at these tools, right? If you're, right. If you're offering a, you know, a filter subscription service, you shouldn't see that as, oh man, this is a great opportunity to maximize profit for my investor. The, essentially, and this was another quote that I really liked, and you said, offer it as cheaply as you possibly can without losing money, but you're providing value. It comes down to value. It's not about like pushing as much into the lease as you can possibly add and you know, unlimited line items. Just focus on value. What for that demographic, for that resident, what will actually uh, be a valuable kind of additional service for them Sure, add that to to their experience living at that home. And I think there's an element, especially with the one you mentioned, which is uh, filter delivery. When you're talking about pieces like that, it's usually on the resident to take care of filters, smoke detectors, CO2 detectors. If they have a Wi-Fi door lock, they have any smart home stuff, it's kind of on them to maintain it. But it's also to the owner's advantage to protect the asset. And so because there's a combined dedication to that same goal, if you make those things easier for the resident to do, they're more likely to do them. And what's easier than taking away a Home Depot trip or remembering to buy batteries and that stuff just shows up. It goes, it shows up. It's time to put them in. 
Don't even worry about putting it on your calendar. When it shows up, fix it. The end, <laughs> right? So it's just, then you're more likely to have an asset that doesn't accidentally burn down. You're more likely to have a property where the HVAC lasts longer because it's being properly cared and maintained for. Like there's that benefit for the owner. And then as a resident, you go, oh, it's time to do this. And this is great because now we're in pollen season or we're in wildfire season or we're in we're in this season where I need better air inside and I also want my smoke detectors to work. So it, it's it's that kind of stuff that really I find really compelling for how you keep residents and have that relationship where if they move to another city, they look for your properties first. Because that's what yeah, Papa and- try and do that. We go, yeah, you want to move somewhere? Cool. We've got houses there. Let's figure out how to move your deposit. Let's figure out how to set you up. Let's just, let's take care of things and get you over there. And that, that emphasis on brand is so interesting to me. I, I think that is, that is like the kind of the biggest shift in rental housing in the rental housing industry, right? That you can yeah. go to other markets and instead of just going to like a, a Zillow or Realtor or Redfin, maybe you yeah. are going to Poplar to see what inventory they have first, right? Just because yeah. the experience was so great because of X, Y, and Z. I, that Because, you know, years ago, I remember I was talking to a client about like, how do you, you know, what's like the value or, or how do you like set yourself apart as a property management business? And, you know, they're just, it's kind of a thankless uh, job, right? Like you just, you're there to, make sure that everyone keeps everything keeps functioning, but the resident isn't going to go out of their way to say, Hey, thank you so much for making sure that my utilities were set up or something like that. Right. Um, It's all like, so kind of becoming memorable for the resident. I think we're figuring that out, uh, but it's a really interesting uh, evolution. Yeah. At, at Poplar, we're working in this space where we want to be the lifetime property partner for individuals. And so we have, we've helped people buy homes. Like they've been on our platform long enough that they accrued a cash back incentive to buy a home through our realtor in one of the cities that we're in. And we do it, we just represent them and then give them the money. So they're saving on different percentages. Um, we have uh, uh, programs where if you're owner and you're on our platform and we find a property that's also on our platform and that owner wants to sell, we go, cool, let's make it so the resident doesn't have to go through this stuff but also the owner can get their cash out and a different owner can get a cash flow and everybody's happy. Like, I I think that that's one of the spaces where being a third party and kind of sitting in the middle allows the owners to get what they need out of the property while letting the residents remain safe and kind of stable there, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. We're working on it. We'll figure out how to do it better, but Mm -hmm. we're already doing it. So I'll just keep moving that direction. Okay. Always. Cool stuff about IMN. Uh, let's pivot and talk about Planomatic and Plano Labs and what you're offering over there. This is your plug time. So run down your product and tell us what you're doing. Plug time. I'm not on our sales or marketing team. Uh, so sometimes I struggle Even with, uh, better. with the plug. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just the, the authentic. Um, yeah, I mean, we, so, so our, our core services are essentially. Um, on the marketing side and we do our best we kind of talked about this through the conversation but we do our best to exist in the background um we ask our clients for feedback sometimes and they'll say well i haven't heard anything from you guys so that's a good thing and so that's our goal we just we we integrate we automate as much as possible um, my job on the final labs team is uh to help optimize workflows um if you you know i can help find inefficiencies in your workflows. And that's often a a big challenge for our clients. Um, And then I also help on the research side, asking questions that our clients don't necessarily have time to answer. So if their investors are asking questions about some of the money that they're spending, whether it's for marketing or something else, um, that's where I can come in and say, hey, here's the story uh, on this topic. And um, for those of you at home, if you don't have 3D tours, if you don't have floor plans, you are missing out. The Zillow information and data on this is incredible, where Zillow tried to force everybody into using Zillow 3D tours. The product was fine. The problem was that everybody was doing 3D tours twice then, once through Planomatic or one of the other vendors. And then again, they'd have to go to the house and load the Zillow app and scan the house. And that was like, well, why are we doing this twice? This makes no sense. So now that Zillow has opened up 
and allowed you just drop a link into your listing, 3D tours get a level of engagement that a normal property does not get. It's it's a factor of two to three. It's not a little change. It's not a percentage 100%. change. It's a doubling to a tripling of activity with a 3D tour. People will seek them out specifically. It's become a whole new category of aspirational and property shopping. And so it's really important to have those there. If you don't, you should. And if you do, I highly recommend reaching out to Tim over at Planomatic and Plano Labs. Uh, the website is planomatic.com, correct? That's right. Yep. Yep. And you can you can find Tim online. Do you want to give out an email or anything in case somebody's chasing you down right now? T Rose, T-R-O-S-E at planomatic.com. T Rose at planomatic.com. <laughs> Thank you very oh, my, much. Can I do one one other shameless plug, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. You gotta follow follow my newsletter. It doesn't it has not a whole lot to do with marketing necessarily, but uh, it's the monthly beaker. It's on LinkedIn. And I just we try to digest all of the relevant SFR industry information that has come through in the previous month, whether it's headlines, uh, key data releases, things like that. We put it all in one place. We've and you can find on him year. on so LinkedIn as, as Tim Rose. Uh, he is connected to my account. He's at linkedin.com slash IN slash Timothy E. Rose. And you'll find him. There you go. And then you'll be able That's to follow. Say the name of the newsletter again. The Monthly Beaker. The Monthly Beaker. That's good. That's like, uh, although my first thought is still the Muppets, like the Beaker and Honeydew. And I, and I think, oh, that's Bunsen. <laughs> I mean, no, it's Beaker, right? That wasn't right? my first thought when we came up with the title, uh, but I don't know. It's now, good. Now you got me. Now you're throwing me off. No, now, <laughs> now I'm messing up my, my Muppets trivia. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to lose my nerd card. Um. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This was a really great conversation. Tim, let's have you back after the next IMN. Uh, if I'm at it too, we'll do one live and we'll record on the floor and get some of these people to come talk to us. Um, other than that, go check him out. And if you need any property management services or want to see what we're doing, you can reach us at poplar.home slash pod. That's poplar.home slash pod. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. <laughs>